Good morning. The youth is meeting this morning. If you want to join them. We are in uh, the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Um, I want to... Before we kind of get into Colossians, um, I wanted to just mention a couple of things. Um, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan mentioned about uh, Joanne's passing this week. Um, there's a couple other tragedies in our church family here uh, that happened this week. Um, I haven't got permission from them, but I think they'll forgive me for mentioning it. Uh, Tara's mom passed away uh, kind of expectedly this week, or unexpectedly, uh, fairly, fairly quickly. That progressed, um, and she, she passed away this week. And the Yoder family, uh, Zach and Tara, um, went down to Florida to be with their family, and um, what's going on there. And also the, the Jadamio family, um, many of you know or have met Paul's dad, so Paul Sr., uh, Paul, Paul and Sandy, um, he was the one that would come in with the cowboy hat every now and then. So if you, you know, he'd visit the church every now and then. So uh, Paul Sr. passed away this week as well. And so uh, we just, you know, I was kind of thinking through these events and what's going on, and we will get to our study in Colossians. Uh, but it reminded me of Jesus uh, when he... Um, the story with him and Lazarus, right? When he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he um, approaches into town and it says, you know, as he witnessed all these people, his, his friends and family mourning, it says, the Bible says, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, right? It says, Jesus wept. And we all know that um, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, which is an incredible miracle. And certainly Jesus knows that. But yet, Jesus wept. And we think, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's about, there's about to be a joyous event that's about to take place. And it reminds us that the Lord is near to those that are brokenhearted. And he saw those people mourning, those loved ones, those he was in relationship with. And he was personally invested with them. Um, and the, the Bible, when it says Jesus wept, it's not a... It's not an erratic thrashing or anything like that. It's a silent weeping. And so you could see his countenance just fall, the sadness and the tears flowing from his, from his eyes. And that's our Savior and how he feels about the brokenhearted. And the Bible also says we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so the death in itself is a sad thing, and I think Jesus saw that too. I mean, he was there in the garden when Adam and Eve um, chose to reject God, right? And the first death, the spiritual death, took place, the separation from God. And I think this also broke Jesus' heart, was witnessing this physical death of Lazarus, but looking back to that spiritual death that took place. And we being in Adam, the first Adam, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses until Jesus Christ came, right? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is our identity in Christ. Uh, but let's not 
forget about those that are um, heartbroken in our fellowship. Um, shoot them a text. Tell them you love them. You're with them. Your heart's with them, just like Jesus was with his friends. So, let's um, go to Colossians chapter 2. We are going to, Pastor Jonathan started the first part of chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 10, just, uh, he covered that verse, but I think it's super important that we just read it one more time, and then we will continue on from there. Verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. And this is ultimately who we are. We are complete in him. I think that second song um, talking about the blood of Christ is enough. It's we are complete in him. Jesus plus nothing is all we need. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is things being brought into the church, things being brought into believers' life where we add things to our relationship with Christ. And so um, we're going to read verses 11 through 12, and then we'll, we'll come back and talk about it. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And um, just to give you some historical context, I know when we're talking about circumcision, I used to teach middle school a little while ago, and I'd bring up circumcision, and all the eyes would roll in the back of their heads. You know, it's like, oh, great, here we go again, the Bible talking about circumcision. I don't even care about this. Um, But from a historical context, this is an issue that the early church faced. And we read through Paul's epistles, we read through the other epistles, it constantly comes up. And the issue was that the early believers, you remember Acts chapter 2, when Peter teaches, they were largely Jewish, right? This was uh, thousands of people got saved in Acts chapter 2, and these were largely Jewish people. Jesus, our Savior, was a Jew, right? He was, our, he was a Jew. He's our Savior. And now these Gentiles are coming into the church, giving their life to the Lord. And the obvious expectation from a Jew would be, well, first, of course, to follow the Jewish believer or the Jewish Savior, they have to become a Jew, right? And so we deal with this issue of circumcision, which is the, the, the passage for, for a male, at least, a Gentile, into Judaism, they, one thing they would have to do, along with many others, was they'd have to be circumcised. And so this is why this comes up in the, in the uh, epistles a lot. And we say, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, we learn a lot from it um, because if, one, we learn that Christ is enough, right? And this, they wrestled with this issue and were taught that Christ is enough, that he is sufficient, and through him and him alone, we are saved. Uh, But they had to wrestle through this issue. Now, circumcision, just looking back, Genesis, um, make sure I got my thing, yep. Genesis 17, 11, you have to keep in mind that circumcision was always a sign. 
It wasn't what saved the Jews. It wasn't what uh, got them into heaven. It was always a sign of the covenant. And here, Genesis 17, 11, when it was first instituted, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And, and obviously me being God and you being Abraham in this case. And the children of Abraham, this would be a sign of this covenant, of this old covenant between them. And you guys know that this was done to the children of Israel. It was done the, the, the males at eight days. So right after they were born, eight days later, they would be circumcised as a sign of that covenant. Now, just like everything else, it's always an issue of the heart. Deuteronomy 10, 16, and this says as many times in the Old Testament, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So it was always an issue of the heart and understanding that this cutting away of the flesh was just an outward sign of what needed to happen on the inside of cutting away of that flesh, that, that, um, that flesh we were born with with Adam, right? Now, You'll see um, in verse 11 how it says that this circumcision made without hands. So Paul's bringing in this, this idea, these Judaizers or these Pharisees or maybe these Jewish believers that have given their life to the Lord are saying you have to be circumcised. You have to become a Jew before you could be saved. Paul is making this connection here, and he's saying now this circumcision is done without hands. This is a circumcision of the heart that is talked about in Deuteronomy. Now, anybody who is, um, you, you probably see this connection in verse 12 where it talks about the baptism, right? And buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so how does this connection happen between circumcision and baptism? Well, when we give our life to the Lord, just like circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, baptism, when we are born into new life, uh, John 3, 3 says, Jesus, of course, talking to Nicodemus, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this born again is being born into the new covenant. And the sign that you've been born into the new covenant, just like the circumcision, is the baptism, right? This is why we do it after we are saved, after we have given our life to the Lord, is that we then go on and be baptized. Um, and so we see this connection between the two here, but they're not the same. Uh, the baptism, of course, speaks of, and many of us here have been baptized, or we've seen someone been baptized, right? But as you're standing there in the water, uh, ready to be baptized, that speaks of your old life, right? Before you go down. And the scripture says, then you die with Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. You die with Christ. You go down into the tomb. You submerge yourself in water. And then when you come back up, the resurrection into new life. So it's an outward sign of what's already happened on the inside, um, through the Holy Spirit when you were saved. Now, the, the picture here is the old man or the old identity has now passed away. And as we're talking about, 
You know, last week, uh, Pastor Jonathan started talking about our identity in Christ. And we have, this is a, largely a, you know, a big term in all culture is our identity. You know, this, everyone wants an identity. They want a, you know, a, a identity based on their skin color or based on their orient, sexual orientation or their gender or whatever. Everybody wants an identity. And what Jesus is saying to us is that our identity, that old man, those things we identified with, have passed away. Uh, Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. So there's no different, it doesn't matter where you were born or what family you were born into or what part of the world you were born into, doesn't matter. There's neither slave nor free, doesn't matter what class, you were poor, you're rich, it does not matter. Uh, There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So when you gave your life to the Lord, if you have given your life to the Lord, then your old man, that old identity, however you wanted to identify, (laughs) doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Um, Verse 13, we read, And you, being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Notice what it says here in verse 13. It doesn't say you being sick in your trespasses. You know, a sick person, what does a sick person do? You take, a, take an Advil, right? Or you go to the doctor. Um, you, you go help yourself, right? You try to make yourself feel better. What does a dead person do? Nothing. They're dead. There's nothing they can do, right? So a dead person needs a savior. A sick person needs to help themselves. A dead person needs a savior. And that's who Jesus is. You know, I, I, uh, you know some of us may take some credit into our salvation. I chose to follow Jesus. I did this. I did that. And then you realize you were dead when Jesus pulled you out. I mean, how much did I really have to do with that? Um, you know, so it's an incredible thought. And so that's where we were. We were dead in our trespasses, and Jesus came and pulled us out of that. And he made us, it says that um, he made us alive together with him, forgiving you all trespasses. And uh, that's what my Bible says. It doesn't say uh, 50 of my trespasses or 1,000 of my trespasses. It says all trespasses because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse uh, 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, I love this part. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What a glorious view that is. And the document we're talking about here, this uh, in verse 14, where it talks about this writing of requirements, is this the, the, the rules that hung over us, that ultimately condemned us. As Paul talks to the Galatians, he says that the tutor, right? It's the one that drove us to Christ. When we realize the standard of holiness... And we realize that we're nowhere near that. That's the document that condemned us. And that has been taken away. It's been nailed to the cross. Uh, Romans 8, 
38 through 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And and isn't that a glorious promise that nothing will separate us from God? If we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we will not be separated from him. And you could see here at the end of verse 15 that those, those powers, those spiritual powers, he has triumphed over. And they no longer have. They may be able to intimidate us, to convince us, that try to trick us, but they no longer have power over us. Uh, verse 16. We're going to... Kind of jump through. We're gonna. Re, I'm gonna read verse 16 through 19, and then we're gonna spend some time talking about legalism, um, which is an important topic. And um, so let's let's jump jump in here. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, introducing into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. And um, you see here right at the beginning, we see these... uh, Back to these uh, Judaizers or these Jews that were putting this burden on the church of what you could eat, what you could drink, what you need to celebrate, what you shouldn't be celebrating, what your traditions need to be, right? So they're putting these burdens on the believers there. Um, I'm going to, we're going to keep our place here in Colossians, but if you can join me, I'm going to be turning to Romans chapter 14. Paul addresses this with the Romans as well. And I think it kind of clears it up for us a little bit. And so I want to look at that. Uh, Romans chapter 14, a couple of books to your left. So what are we talking about when we talk about legalism? And what aren't we talking about? I mean, that's another question. So um, let's read... Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. And so Paul brings up this term here, talking about doubtful things. Do not dispute over doubtful things. And the doubtful things, the ESV says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. And we might say, Um, In today's vernacular, we might say the gray areas, right? Things that aren't in black and white in the scripture, that we shouldn't be quarreling over these things. And um, now when we, we think about that, these doubtful things, what are not doubtful things? So that's kind of the opposite, right? What are not doubtful things? So I'm, i put a list of things from uh, Galatians that says are the works of the flesh. So Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21. 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And I like how Paul starts this. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, meaning that if the Holy Spirit is residing within us, you don't need the list. I mean, he's going to put it here because he doesn't want division in the church, right? He wants to make sure it's clear, but he's saying right off the bat that these things are evident. And these works are what? Well, which are adultery. The first four here are related to sexual impurity. So adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and uncleanliness, like that's more of the mind and how we, uh, how we you know, like viewing pornography, for example, that'd be uncleanliness. Lewdness, how we behave in public, how we parade ourselves around, especially related to sexual purity. Um, idolatry, what you worship, right? Sorcery, the Bible says. Well, what's sorcery? Not a lot of, you know, we think of like, uh, you know, casting a spell on somebody, but that's not really the term here. The term is pharmacia, uh, pharmakia is the Greek word that's used. And this is anything that you're taking to alter the mind, right? So this is typically like hallucinogens. You know, we might think of like mushrooms or LSD or something like that. So sorcery, hatred. Yep, hatred's listed. Contentious, contentions. Uh, drawing discord among the brethren, right? So drawing uh, division in the church. Jealousies, outburst of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Dis dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, right? The Bible calls us to be sober-minded. Revelries, we don't use the term revelries a lot today, but this is, the, it kind of goes along with drunkenness. This is, it's a party, but it's not just like, hey, we're having a Christmas party. This is a party that involves, you know, there's no restrictions, right? So you're having, it, like it goes with drunkenness. And the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice, key word there, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you read the list and you say, oh man, I had a outburst of wrath the other day. <laughs> um, the key thing there is the practice. And if someone says to me, well, I always do this. Am I saved? Because the last part of this verse says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And my um, response to that is, I would be concerned if you have no victory over that. If you never have victory over that. If the Holy Spirit is not working on you to have victory over these things, I would work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. I would go before the Lord and ask the Lord, that question. Uh, we should see a pattern of victory in our life. Yes, these things happen, but we, they shouldn't be a practice for us. And, um, and we should see a pattern of victory. That's what the scripture says, that we, should have, we can have victory through the Holy Spirit, and we should have victory. Um, and we should celebrate those victories. Temptations are going to come our way. And when, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can resist those temptations and 20 minutes later, when that has passed, when that, that, you know, as the Bible says, outburst of wrath has passed, and I didn't have an outburst of wrath, then I can look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for working on me. Thank you for the victory, right? Um, now, what about these things? These aren't doubtful things. These aren't the things that we're talking about. 
uh, as it relates to legalism, okay? Um, Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, this is the church, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And when Pastor Victor planted the church, Calvary Restored Church, this is the key verse, right? So this is a process of coming alongside our brothers and confronting them, but do so gently, a spirit of gentleness, with the motivation of restoration, not the motivation of con- condemnation, right? Not the motivation to um, make fun of them or show them how unholy they are, right? The motivation of restoration, because we all need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us because we're all fallen, right? We all make mistakes. And if we notice our brothers or sisters in the works of the flesh, in these things that are not legalistic things, they're just works of the flesh, we should be coming alongside them to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, back to the doubtful thing. So you guys are still in Romans 14, I hope. Uh, Romans 14, we continue on reading. Verse 2 For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, this in and of itself is kind of a funny verse for me because I'm a meat eater, but (laughs) that's not exactly what he's talking about because I think, well, is he saying the vegetarians are weak? I mean, is that kind of how it comes across? But that's not actually what Paul's saying. The, The issue that Paul's addressing here is that especially the church in Rome or other churches where there were not a lot of Jewish Jewish community, I should say, they didn't have the access to kosher meats. And so because they didn't have the access to kosher meat, they would eat only vegetables. They had access to meat, but it was meat that was typically sacrificed to idols, and they wouldn't partake in that. And so this is the, the ones who eat only vegetables is they've set that restriction upon themselves. And Paul is saying, for one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables because he has put that restriction upon himself. He has freedom to eat the meat, but he has put that restriction upon himself for his conscious sake, right? His conscience speaks to him. I don't want to support this uh, this you know, person selling the meat because they sacrificed it to an idol, a false god, and so I don't want to do that. And so for their conscience' sake, they chose not to do that. And the Bible says they're the weaker. But you think, well, they're the more spiritual. (laughs) But the Bible says they're actually the weaker. But we shouldn't look down on it. Just because the Bible says they're the weaker doesn't mean we should look down on those people. It's okay to be the weaker. In areas of my life, not related to meat, I'll eat a good ribeye, doesn't matter. But... uh, I don't have weaknesses, but there's other areas I am weak, and I'm okay with being weak in those areas, and I'm okay with setting boundaries in those areas, and I'm okay of being the weaker believer there. Uh, We don't always need to be the freedom of everything, you know, let's just go crazy. Um, It's okay to set boundaries because our conscience, the Holy Spirit and our conscience speaking to us does help us with these things. And so the Bible says the weaker one eats only vegetables. Verse three, let not whom... Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. There's the key. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. 
Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And there's, there's the key, right? Is that no matter, as we're in a, you know, I was talking, we were talking about this in home group, that the church is an interesting body because we come from so many different backgrounds, <laughs> you know, as, as we saw. And um, there's going to be differences. There's going to be differences in conviction. And we should not look upon somebody we should not look down on them because they're convicted about something, because they abstain from something, whether it's meat or something else, right, or drink or whatever it is um, that they abstain from. And again, I'm not talking about the things that are clearly works of the flesh that we already talked about. I'm talking about the gray areas or the doubtful things. And likewise, if someone has the freedom to do these things and it does not bother their conscience, you should not look down on that person as they are unholy or something's wrong with them, Right? Uh, we should live together in the body and not judge one another for these things. And you can see there at chapter four is that, look, you're going to have to stand before your master yourself one day, right? So if the Lord's been convicting you about something and you've been rejecting him, well, you're going to have to answer to him about that someday, right? Not to the other believer. Um, many of you may know this. Charles Spurgeon, uh, you know, referred to as the, the prince of preachers, the people's preacher, um, very popular, we, you know, we use a lot of Spurgeon quotes as we're teaching, um, reference his material as far as his sermons to get, gain insight as a, as a teacher. Many of us do that. Um, many of you may know this. He, he smokes cigars regularly. You guys know that? Spurgeon smokes cigars regularly. And uh, this was kind of an issue with a lot of people in his time. Uh, because they weren't sure what to think of it. You know, some people were okay with it. Some people were like, that's probably a sin. You know, what are you doing? You know, openly smoking a cigar. And uh, there's, there's several stories of how this played out through his life, but I'll, I'll just share one with you. A woman once asked Spurgeon uh, if his, his smoking was sinful. And he said, only if done excessively. And she said, well, how, how will we know if it's done excessively? And he said, if I have a lit cigar in both hands, then you know I'm doing it in excess. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is access. Now, to, to Spurgeon's credit, and I did a little reading on this, um, he, he didn't really smoke a lot. I mean, I think it, some accounts said maybe up to one time a day, something like that. And, uh, and he did go periods of time without smoking. And I think it didn't say this, that he did it for a particular reason, but I'm guessing it was the issue of being put under bondage, right? Like he wanted to make sure he wasn't building up a, a bad, um, he wasn't being brought under control of a substance, right? So he would go periods of time without smoking and maybe it was for that reason or maybe not, I don't know. Uh, but that was his freedom and uh, he wasn't uh, convicted by that and so he smoked cigars. And uh, some people didn't like it, uh, but this is an example, you know, I think a good example of how we can live in the body together, um, where some people may think, ah, I don't know, that's, that's really bad, you know? And other people may go, um, hey, what's the big deal? Um, so back in Romans verse five, uh, chapter 14, verse five, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. 
let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And um, I heard another uh, pastor say once, and I'll, I'll probably mess this up, but to live your convictions, don't preach your convictions. So when we're, when we're sharing with somebody, when we're talking to them about their life, we should be sharing the truth. If we're concerned about their walk and they're violating the scriptures, then we can point out the scriptures and we can share the truth, what's black and white. If we're personally convicted about something, that we shouldn't be preaching those convictions to something else, somebody else, right? So if I'm personally convicted about the amount of TV I watch or the amount of video games I play, and I put a restriction upon myself, let's say an hour a week or whatever, I don't know. I put that restriction upon myself. Well, I shouldn't preach that to, to Connor, right? Or to somebody else and say, well, you need to do that too. It's really helped me, so you need to do that, right? That would be inappropriate. I'm, built, I'm putting a legalistic um, uh, pressure on Connor, right, in that case, and it's unnecessary, uh, because the Holy Spirit is within him and will convict him if necessary. Uh, these are the doubtful things. These are the gray areas that we're talking about. Now, we should be honest with ourselves ultimately because as we read in Romans, we are going to stand before God one day for these convictions. Um, Paul also gives us some additional insight. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And I like, uh, I like that as, as a test. You know, like if, we're, if there's something in our life that we think is not helpful for us, well, maybe that's the Lord convicting us that we should either reduce that thing, you know, a little less time in front of the TV, a little less time on whatever, a um, little, you know, whatever it is. Um, maybe that's the Lord saying that you should, you know, step back from that and spend more time uh, with him or with ministering to others or being with others and not being brought under the power of any. And that's the, you know, I think a, a testament of um, he doesn't want anything to control his life except for Jesus Christ. All right, so back uh, into Colossians and uh, back in chapter two. And one other thing, we read through this uh, section, verse 16 through 19. One other thing that I think is really important here, in verse 17, it says, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And this is addressing a lot of the uh, traditions, the festivals, the Sabbath, um, a lot of these things that the Jewish believers were used to doing as they grew up, what Paul is saying is that these things were shadows of things to come. And it's like if, if uh, my wife sees my shadow, she might know that's, that's Brian. Most people would see the shadow of me and not know it. It was Brian, but it's just a shadow, right? But what would you rather have, the shadow or the person? You know, and that's what Paul's saying here. These were shadows, these, these traditions, even the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. Look at all these, um, when you read through the Old Testament, look at all the rules and regulations they had to follow, the work they had to do, right? 
And when Jesus came, we were free. We were at rest. We don't get one day of rest. We get a life. Once we give our life to the Lord, we get an eternity of rest in Jesus Christ. Right? So he is our Sabbath. So instead of holding on to the shadow, we hold on to Christ. And that's what we get in him. And so I, I think that's a lovely picture. A lot of things in the Old Testament is shadows of things to come. And Paul points it out here. Now let's go, um, let's jump ahead to uh, verse uh, 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ, the basic principles of the world, sorry, let me go back here. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject subject yourself to regulations. And Paul gives a, uh, well, a couple of things right there at the beginning of verse, verse 20, it says, therefore, if, and that's an important if, because that differentiates the believer from the unbeliever. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulation? And then he goes on to give us a test. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. This is how legalism typically presents itself, right? Do not do this, do not do that. You must do this, you must not do that, right? And so he gives us this kind of test here. Verse 22, which all, thi- which all concerning things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And the uh, worship team can come on up. I, uh, we we kind of mentioned this a couple of times as we're reading through the scripture, but this appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion and we need to be careful of that because we're all, we're all broken vessels, the reality is, right? No matter if you're up here teaching or whatever position you're in, you've given your life to the Lord, you're, you're still broken. You're still being worked on. And uh, we're drawn sometimes to this appearance of, of holiness, that we want to appear holy in front of others. And um, instead of being honest with who we are, um, we sometimes will strive to this self-imposed religion that Paul's talking about. Um, And it ultimately is false humility. Uh, One of the, let's see if he's here. He's not here today. All right, so uh, one of the guys in our home group says, uh, I'm the most humble guy here or something like that. Yeah, he was joking around. But uh, this this ultimately wells up pride in us when we come across this way of false humility or that we're super religious, so we've given up all these things. Um, we have to be careful of those because, you know, I'll speak for myself, is that I do have a tendency to go that way. Not, not to try to put burdens on others, but to talk to people about, hey, I'm giving up this or giving up that because I want to walk closer to the Lord. But that could put a burden on someone depending on how I present it to them, right? So this idea of legalism we need to be careful with. Um, In the church body, we need to be uh, united as a body. Um, 
understand the difference between those things that are well-defined, black and white in Scripture, and those areas that Paul would say are the doubtful things, and understand that we have freedom in Christ, and um, walk with him, okay, day by day. We're going to close with a song, and then I'll close this in prayer afterwards.